0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at oursaviorschurch.com. Y'all yeah, ready? We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, if you don't know where that is, no shame at all, just go to the front of your Bible. There's a table of contents there and you can look. But as always, we're going to have all of the passages right here behind me on the screen. But I do hope that you all had a really good Thanksgiving. Raise your hand if you did. It was good? It was good? All right, good. All right, well, uh, I think you all know that Thanksgiving is uh, not just a a holiday that we celebrate, but Thanksgiving should be, well, a lifestyle that we live. Would you all agree with that? that as believers, let me say it this way, we should be the most grateful people on the planet. Because, well, we know Jesus, right? And God gave Jesus to us the greatest gift that has ever or will ever be given. How many of y'all are thankful for Jesus? We are, Lord, thankful for you. And so that's, uh, that's the way that we should uh, posture ourselves, the way we should walk and talk, just as people who are very, very grateful. But, um, I want to preach a passage to you this morning from 1 Thessalonians 5, and I've given this a rather interesting title. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, The title of my message is, Thank God for the Fleas. (laughs) Thank God for the Fleas. Now, if that title is bugging you, uh, and you're wondering... Sorry, I just had to do that. I just had to. I had to. Uh, You're going to understand what that's all about uh, here, especially toward the end of the message. Let's bow. Let's ask for God's help. Lord, thank you. We, We are grateful today. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. God, we are grateful. We're thankful for all that you've done. Come on, lift them high. God, thank you. You've been amazing to us. And we celebrate you today, every spiritual blessing. Thank you even for the material blessings that we have. We are a grateful people. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. All right. Well, you know, in life, there are, there are some things that we do occasionally, just every now and then. And, and you know what those things are for you, things that you do sometimes on purpose, but sometimes on accident, just occasional things in your life. But then, of course, there are some things that we do seasonally, like, well, we celebrate Christmas. How many of y'all love the Christmas time of year? Uh, how many of y'all start playing Christmas music when you're supposed to around September? Anybody? <laughs> Okay, it's good and godly to start in September, uh, like two of you. Okay, well, uh, anyway, I like to start early, and I, 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 I'm not a fan of decorating for Christmas. I, I like the finished product. Raise your hand if you, if you get out and you, you decorate the yard, put the lights on the lawn, on the, on the shrubs. Let me see your hands. About two of y'all. No, a few more. About ten of y'all. What's wrong with the rest of y'all? Y'all like to drive around and look at what everybody else has done, right? Let them do the work. That's actually really smart. Well, if you go by my home, you won't see much out front. This year, for some reason, I've been preoccupied with uh, decorating the backyard. And we've got this big oak tree. If you walk out our back porch, it's beautiful oak. And uh, my wife was just adamant that I wrap this tree with lights, So uh, Adam Beasley from our Lafayette campus, he let me borrow a very, very tall ladder that almost killed me. Thank you, Adam. Um, But I got up in this tree, like 15, maybe 17 feet up in the tree, and I started at the bottom, and I wrapped this tree all the way around, got up, and I'm hanging, like I'm on the the ladder, but I'm like hanging onto the limbs while I'm wrapping it, and I look like a man of faith, I have to tell you, I was terrified the whole time. But I wrapped the tree, and it it actually looks... If you look on social media, I posted... Raise your hand if you saw the picture of the tree. Okay, you can look. Scott Adams, like, I think it looks pretty good. What did y'all think? Not not too bad, right? It's my first time to wrap a big tree. And so, um, you know, seasonally, we like to get the Christmas stuff out. We like to decorate. Of course, it's all about Jesus. But I love the lights, and I love the festivities and such. Well, um, the kids were wondering, okay, Dad, the backyard looks great, but what about the front yard? Can you spend a little bit more time on the front yard. I'm like, well, maybe maybe I'll get there. But for now, y'all, the backyard is cooking with gas. Like, it looks good. It looks really, really good. But these are things we, we, we kind of laugh about, but things that we do seasonally, like, well, we decorate, we celebrate Christmas. Those things on the calendar, we know they're coming every year at the same time, the same season, and so forth. And so there are some things we do occasionally, some things we do seasonally. But what I'm going to show you this morning is that there are some things that God has called us to do continually, not just seasonally or occasionally, but like you don't even need to put these things on your calendar, like I'm going to do this next week or next month. These are things that should just be a part of who we are that flow from who we are. And I don't want to complicate your life any further. I'm sure you don't need anything else to do. But I'm going to give you, from the Word of God, three things in particular from 1 Thessalonians 5 that, again, should just be the overflow of our lives. So if you have your Bible and you're there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in uh, verse 12, that's where we're going to start. But before I actually get into the text, let me just say this about this particular letter. Uh, I think most of you probably know that Paul wrote this letter to this believing community in the city of Thessalonica about 20 years after Jesus died on the cross. So around 50-ish, 50 of course, A.D., around the year 50, okay? So about 20 years after Jesus died, approximately, Paul wrote this letter to this believing community, to this church, in Thessalonica. <laughs> and as I'm sure you all remember, um, the Thessalonica, well, this was an important ancient city. It had about 100,000 people in it. And this city was the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia. If you recall from last Sunday, the Macedonian believers were the ones who gave lavishly. Paul brags on the Macedonian believers. Well, Paul writes to this believing community in Thessalonica, again, about 20 years after Jesus died on the cross. And when Paul wrote to this community, well, he did so with a few things in mind. Let me give you just, let me give you just a few. First of all, Paul wrote to the Thessalonian community first to commend them. That is to say, y'all are awesome. You're doing a great job uh, in, in these areas. Because he, he was really encouraged by their commitment and their resilience and their tenacity in the face of persecution and opposition. Paul received this report about the community, and let me just say it this way. They had been persecuted, they were going through hard times, but they stood fast. They stood firm in those trials. Now let me step out of the text for a second and say, that's true of many of you here today. Raise your hand in this last year if you've been through some stuff some hard stuff. Raise your hand if you've been through some hard stuff. For those of you with your hands down, praise God. But how many of y'all know if you live long enough, hard stuff is going to come. You don't have to find it. It'll find you. Isn't that true? But here, here's what I want to do for you. I, I want to encourage you. I want to commend you. I want you to be encouraged because listen, there are people when they get discouraged, they don't go to church. When they get discouraged, they don't pray. When they get discouraged, they lose faith. I don't know where you are today on your faith journey, but I want to say thank you for coming here and being here today to worship with all the saints. Isn't it good to be together, to worship God together? I see your praise. You see mine. We benefit from one another. We grow together, don't we? Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not throwing in the towel. Thank you for not quitting on the resurrected Jesus because he never quits on you. I want to commend you. Y'all, you know who you are. You've been through some stuff and you're standing firm. Man, praise God. Paul would say, keep on going. Actually, in so many words, that's what he says here to the Thessalonians. Y'all are doing a good work. I mean, you've got some areas where you need to improve. That's true. But, but Paul, like if you read this letter, like it's so encouraging. He, he commends them for their resilience, for their tenacity. And he He encourages them to continue to live holy and to love one another. Can I challenge y'all to do that? Live holy. Avoid sin. Did y'all hear that? Run from sin, run to God. Run from sin, run to God. Live holy, live separated lives, and love one another. How many of y'all know this city will know that we belong to Jesus, that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another? Did you know that your love for your brothers and sisters, that's like a billboard for the grace and the mercy and the love of God, and we don't need to put a sign out. You are the sign when you're in the community. When people see your love for one another, they know that you belong to Jesus. I want to commend you, and I want to encourage you to do that and to keep on doing that. Well, Paul wrote for that reason. He wrote to commend. But number two, he also wrote to comfort. He also wrote to comfort them in their time of confusion and sorrow. Because essentially, scholars tell us that if you reconstruct this letter and try to figure out what's going on in the background, it's likely the case that there were people in the church who, well, they were discouraged, They were sorrowful, and they were very, well, concerned about those who had died. There were some who had died, and they were believers, and the ones who were alive were like this. Here's their mindset. They were thinking Jesus is going to come in their lifetime, but what about those who died? Like, did did they miss the second coming? How many of y'all are looking forward to the second coming? When Jesus comes back, wouldn't that be awesome if it happened like now? it's going to happen. We don't know when, but it will happen. He is coming back. In the congregation, they thought, well, it was going to be in their lifetime. Well, people were dying and their question was essentially this, what about the dead? What happens to them? Paul goes on to say, well, we grieve. First of all, if you've lost someone, you should grieve. If you've lost someone this last year, uh, or it, 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 we're all going to lose people inevitably, but especially in this last year, I know some of you have been grieving, we grieve with you, and we're sorry with you for your loss. But Paul says we grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. We grieve in hope. And that hope is this: that God raised Christ from the dead. And the promise for us is this: though we die in Christ, How many are thankful we will live in Christ? Though we die physically, we will be resurrected and raised, and we will live with the Lord forever. That's the promise that we hold on to. But Paul says this. Essentially, let me paraphrase. Don't worry about the dead, because he says the dead in Christ will be raised at the second coming of Christ. So picture this. People coming out of their graves, resurrected, those believers resurrected in Christ... And then everyone who's alive at that time when Christ comes. Paul says, we will be joined with the dead who are resurrected in the air, in the clouds. We will meet the Lord there, and we will be with him forever. So, Thessalonian community, you grieve. I get it. You grieve. You got sorrow in your heart. But don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. The dead will be raised, and the promises of God are sure for us, but the living and the dead forever. How many of y'all know that's really good news for us today? You've lost, you've lost loved ones in the Lord. Come on, y'all. A day is coming. The clouds are going to split. They'll recede. Christ will come down. Your loved ones will be raised, and you'll live with them and him forever. So he wrote to command. He wrote to comfort. And finally, he wrote, well, to offer some commands. And these aren't like commands. These are These are like, hey, I'm asking you. Here's what I want you to do. But but they are imperatives. They are commands. And here's what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, and that means the whole congregation, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are what? What's it say? What's it say? Are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly, in love, because of their work. And he says, be at peace among yourselves. In other words, Paul is is commanding them to respond and to relate to the leaders over them and those that were around them in the congregation, to respect them and to esteem them, but not just to esteem them, to esteem them highly. Now, this is something that is timeless in principle and application, and it's a little strange for me to say this, but as your pastor here, this would apply to you, to me, but let me just take the tension off of that. Let me, let me say to the entire staff here, of course, Pastor David, Amy, Katie, Rob, the entire, how many of y'all know we got a great staff here? And, and I, want, I want to just say to y'all, y'all are, an, an, you're an honoring respectful bunch thank you for the respect and the honor that you show us we really really appreciate it and guess what it does it motivates us to work hard for y'all let me say this I don't just show up on Sunday and wing it I promise you I work hard for you and not just from a you know a Sunday message perspective but through the week I hope you feel that we we work hard for you and guess what it's our job but I promise you it is our joy it is our joy to do that And so Paul says, respect, show great esteem for those over you in the community, those among you, those above you, those who work hard. But then Paul offers a second set of commands. He says this in verse 14, beginning there. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone, what? Evil for, evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to to everyone. So Paul's helping them relate to people above them and around them to show honor and respect and to, to help those who need help, to help the weak, to encourage, to challenge. I mean, this is Paul just getting in their business, making sure that they're thinking rightly about one another. But here's what I want to get to, and here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Paul goes on to offer a final set of commands, and here's what he says, beginning in verse 16. Listen carefully. Paul says to the Thessalonians, and by extension to us, rejoice always. Pray without what? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all what? Circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How many of y'all ever wonder what the will of God is in certain areas, certain ways? You're like, oh man, I wonder, I wonder what God wants me to do with this situation. Raise your hand. Let me see if you're ever confused about that or you just want to know. You're like, man, I want to know. Well, listen, the Bible does not spell out in detail who you're supposed to marry, uh, where you're supposed to live. Of course, the Bible doesn't get into those details, but here's what the Bible does. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Bible and the Spirit give us a renewed mind. We get a cleansed, renewed mind, and then from that cleansed, renewed mind, we make renewed decisions, meaning we make decisions based on the Word of God and the will of God as it's revealed in the Bible. Someone said, you Christians, you're just brainwashed. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Washed in the blood, washed by the Word, that the Word cleanses the nasty out and brings the the righteous and the holy in. Are y'all with me today? You need to be brainwashed in that sense. Washed in the blood, washed by the word, cleansed, renewed. And so from that mindset, then you make decisions by faith that are pleasing to God. Does that make sense? In this case, though, Paul says, do these things. This is the will of God for you. So this isn't just a principle. Like, these are things that he wants them to do because it is absolutely concretely and specifically God's will for their lives. And I want you to notice the language here. Do these things not not seasonally, not just occasionally, but but how often and when? How? Continually. So these are things that you should just do because you're a believer. You do because it's the overflow of who you are. In other words, we're not marking the calendar saying, on Friday, I'm going to give thanks. Next month, I'm going to pray. No, 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 no. These are things that we are to do as believers continually just threaded through our lives. These should be responses to God that indicate that we're in relationship with him. What does that look like? Well, let me unpack this for you. Someone said successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Think about that for a minute. Successful people do consistently, not, not every now and then, they kind of get around to it, but they do those things consistently, and that helps them get better and closer and, and more effective over the course of their Christian lives. This is true in business, this is true in your profession, and this is definitely true in your, uh, in your day-to-day walk with Jesus. And let me say it this way. It is next to impossible, if not impossible, to have a close, healthy relationship with the Lord if you pray occasionally. Okay? Now, if you pray occasionally and you pray in faith, how many of you are thankful God still hears you? It's not like God's going, okay, you got to pray 50 times a week and prove yourself, then I'll listen. Thank God that he hears our prayers when we cry out. Amen? But, but, but I'm talking about the day-to-day. I'm talking about, having a clo- I'm talking about having a close, healthy relationship with the Lord. If you want that, well, you can't just pray every now and then. You certainly can't pray seasonally. Well, Easter's coming up. Christmas is coming up. I'm going to go to church. How many of y'all know? It is next to impossible, if not impossible, to have a close, healthy, fruitful relationship with the Lord if you just go to church on Christmas and Easter. Come on, Christers. But thank God that if you go, if people go on those those holidays, thank God. But uh, l- 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 listen, how many on a relationship with the Lord is personal, but it should never be strictly private. Right. Did you get that? It's personal, but it's not just me at home in the Mattress Springs Church of Christ. It, it's I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna, and y'all have done this. I'm commending you. You're here. Because guess what? You need me, and I need you. We need one another. We need to be in community with one another. Our faith is personal, but it should never be strictly private. How many of y'all know people should look at your life and be like, that guy, that gal is a believer. There's something different in a good way about that person. Y'all know we're supposed to go public with our faith, right? It's supposed to just flow out of us. Is this making sense? Paul, Paul here, he's getting at something for us that we need to grab a hold of. Not as works to do to earn our right standing with God, but to understand this should just be the natural overflow of a healthy relationship with God, formed and based on the blood of Christ. But these are things we, we do. We do. We should do these things. And notice the language. Always, continual or without ceasing, and I love this, in all circumstances. Would you all agree that life is unpredictable? Like, you make your schedules. Let me see your hands like you're a schedule person, like you love your schedule. Let me see your hands. Raise them high so I can see who you are. God bless (laughs) y'all. Truly. Raise your hand if you are more led by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a euphemism for uh, you don't like to plan. (laughs) No, you can, but you know the Holy Spirit can also work in your planning too, right? Okay, so let me see your hands one more time. If, like, you're a planner, you, like, write it down. Let me see your hands. Okay, everybody look around. Okay, now put your hands down. Raise your hand if, like, you're more of a go... Like, you still have a schedule, but it's more go by the flow. You like to just figure it out on the way. Okay, well, we are one in Christ. We're very different, but we're one, one body. But I, 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 get, I, I get that. That's always going to be the case. But, but life, listen, life is just, it's just unpredictable. Let me, let me spin it and say it this way. Uh, life is predictable in this sense, that it's unpredictable. <laughs> it's predictably Unpredictable. Let me say it a different way. Somehow, some way, it doesn't matter how much I plan and put things in order and want things to go smoothly, somehow, some way, in almost every situation, there ends up being a little eggshell in my omelet. Are y'all getting the picture? Something you take a bite out of life and it just, you get that crunch, it's just not supposed to be there a hiccup, uh, a last minute, you know, my old pastor used to say, one missing sock of one of your kids on a Sunday morning can stop the kingdom of God in your life, <laughs> right? Isn't it true? From a missing sock to, how about your kids being sick? And it goes just from one to the, to the other, and then you're like, I'm standing firm, I'm a man of God, I'm a woman of God, then five minutes later, you're over in the toilet. It spreads to the house, the sickness. It can be anything. It can be anything. Life is unpredictable in many ways. Although that's true. Our response to God shouldn't be. Our response to God shouldn't be. We should be the most predictable people on the planet because we serve the God of this planet, the God of all creation, who is constantly at work for our good, even in the eggshell and the omelet of our lives. God is always at work in your life. He's always at work. Right now, no matter what you're going through, God is at work. How many of you are thankful God is at work? John Piper says that God is constantly doing 10,000 things in your life, and you're probably aware of three or four of them, but what about the rest? Well, they'll be manifested later, but how many of y'all are thankful that God is at work even in those times? We should be the most grateful people on the planet. Because we're we're not atheists, we're theists. We believe in God. The God who brought the sun up today is the God who sustains you, is the God who lives in you, the one who makes promises to you. And he who started a good work will bring that work to completion. Can I get a better amen on this Thanksgiving weekend? I'm talking about God is at work. And so we need to recognize that and respond to that in the right way. Not seasonally, not occasionally, but continually, because God's at work continually in our lives. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Paul says, first of all, that we should, first, rejoice always. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Rejoice always. Chairo is the Greek term. Sorry if I spit on you, Mandy. Um, <laughs> This word in Greek, it it means this, to be in a state of happiness and well-being. It means joyful expressions. It means joyful, a joyful state of being. It, It means that your life is, it's not just something you do in showing and exhibiting joy. It's a state of being of who you are in the depths of your soul. As believers, I think we should all be able to say It is well with my soul, not in my circumstances. Your circumstances change, don't they? Some of you right now, you're going through terrible circumstances, terrible situations. But in your heart of hearts, in your soul, if you're a believer in Christ, you should be able to say, it is well with my soul because things are settled with my Savior. When you you, you have things settled with your Savior and you know you're right with him, You can face any giant in this this life. When things are settled this way, let's get it on this way. Because I know my God is for me, and he's for you. Paul says, rejoice always. Let this be the state of being of your life. This is who you are. Rejoice from that. Rejoice. It is an outward expression as well. Rejoice. Show joy. Show gladness, not sadness, even though... Let's be honest, there is a time for sadness. There is a time for you to, to weep and to mourn and to get down. Raise your hand if you ever have low moments emotionally. I think we all do, right? We all get down, especially if there are too many cloudy days in a row, right? Especially when you're putting out Christmas lights and you're getting eaten up by mosquitoes. <laughs> like, Really, like, I mean, there's so many reasons to complain, right? So many reasons to get down. And w- we do go there, right? Because we live in a fallen world. So in a fallen world, expect at times to, to be depressed, to, to just be like, oh, I can't believe this. Hey, I've been mourning for, for weeks now with the people in the Middle East. Everyone's suffering there. Everyone. How many of y'all know it's a big mess there? But around the globe, it's a big mess everywhere in varying degrees, my heart has, has been breaking for people in the Middle East, for the Jews and others who are, who are dying, for children, for, for women who are being targeted. And I'm, and I'm talking about just across that area, but really around the globe. You hear about all these horrible things on the news. And, and listen, I, I'm convinced that, that, that God has not designed us in such a way to, to be able to absorb and emotionally deal with all that comes through the news into our, into our minds. I mean, think of all the problems that you can hear just by picking up your phone and clicking on the news. Worldwide, international problems that in most cases you can do nothing about. In some cases you can. But how many of y'all know, I mean, there are international problems, but I got my own personal stuff right here. And so there are things along the way. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have our own issues. People die locally. People die everywhere. There's so many reasons to have a broken heart in this fallen world. But I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says, here's his approach. He says, he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You say, well, it's got to be an either or, right? No, for Paul, he was sorrowful about certain things, but at the same time, he was always rejoicing. I think that's the way we should live. I am sorrowful over the fact that the world is what it is. Are y'all? But I'm always rejoicing because I know that the world will not always be this way. I'm sorrowful over people who are dying of cancer, but, but I, am, I am joyful and I'm rejoicing over the fact that God, through Christ, is going to come back and he's going to raise the dead. He's going to heal our bodies. We're going to get glorified bodies and we're going to live with him forever. I'm sorrowful that you are going through depression and through a divorce or through hard times. But what I'm saying to you as a believer is that the best is yet to come in Christ. So I'm sorrowful on one hand, but I'm rejoicing on the other because I know all the promises of God are sure. And this isn't a message I preach. This is what I live. I'm sure of it. You say, Pastor Scott, you're very sure. No, I'm not sure of myself. I'm sure of God. He has proven himself by raising Christ from the dead. So sorrowful, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. That's the tension we live in. It seems like a contradiction. It's a paradox. It's the reality. This should be the reality of our lives. Here, Paul doesn't use the word circumstances. It doesn't come out in English here in verse 16. But here's what the word means. Circumstance, this English word, comes from two Latin words that essentially means circum or around And stand around and stand so your circumstances are what you're standing around your circumstances are what you're standing in what are you standing around today what are you standing in today it might be good it might be bad it might be dark it might be light but how many y'all know it doesn't matter at the end of the day because the greater one lives on the inside and he never changes. your circumstances change he never changes He never changes. And so here is the hope you have. No matter where you go, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, the greater one lives in you and gives you the ability, no matter where you stand, to stand for him and to live holy, upright lives of hope and promise right now here in this life. So no matter where I go, I'm not saying that I'm like, oh, if I'm in a bad circumstance, I'm not not saying that things are always going to be that way. It doesn't matter because Jesus lives in me. But what I am saying, I'm gonna affect change as much as I can, and so should you. But the hope is man, so many things that happen to us, we don't have any control over. We step into situations that are bleak or glum or dark, but the hope of the cross lives with us and in us as believers. Jesus said, Take courage, I have overcome the world. Do you realize everything that you'll ever face, Jesus has overcome it all. So as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as I walk through troubling circumstances, even though I don't like the circumstances, I love the one who lives in me because he gives me hope through them. Does this make sense? It's good stuff. The greater one lives inside. Paul says, rejoice always. Are you down today? I understand. Rejoice always. It's a fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, joy. Someone said, I need more patience. Have you ever prayed for patience and like it didn't work? That's the Lord teaching you patience. But watch this. It's not go get, go get patience. Okay, there's something to be said about that, but it's <laughs> be filled with the Spirit. And if you get more of God and more of the Spirit, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You'll have that joy. So it's not about getting more joy or patience. Get more God, be filled with Him, and that will overflow from you. But Paul says we should rejoice always, always. Next, he says, boy, this is a challenging one, that we are to pray without what? Without ceasing. That's challenging, isn't it? Let me explain what Paul doesn't mean. Paul's not saying that you get up in the morning, stretch, get your coffee, and then start praying, and then all through the day, You say, dear Lord, thank you, and then just go on this verbal prayer that begins in the morning and continues all through the day until the time you go to bed. Obviously, that's not what he's saying. Some people think, well, Paul's really, man, he's going overboard here because he's really wanting people to just sit around and pray most of the day. Well, yes and no. Let me explain it this way. Paul is not saying that as a believer, you get up in the morning and you go to work, And on the way to work, you're praying out loud. Then you get to work, and maybe you're in sales, whatever business, or whatever you do. Paul's not saying you get there. People need you, and you're like, hold on, hold on, I'm praying. How many of y'all know if you do that, you're going to need to pray for another J-O-B because you're going to lose the one you have? He's not, saying, he's not saying that. You need to take care of business at work. You've got to take care of your family. You can only concentrate on so many things at once, okay? He's not saying all day long out loud in the way some people think. No, he's talking about a, a lifestyle characterized by consistent prayer. Let me explain it a different way. One scholar, Thomas Constable says that the adverb for continually in the Greek text was used in Greek for a hacking cough, a continual hacking cough. Now, this last summer, uh, we took a vacation, and we went kind of, well, went two places. We went up to Missouri. I went up to uh, a university there. I gave an academic paper. Yes, I do those kind of things on vacation. It was actually very life-giving to me. But I did that in Missouri. We went to the mountains, went to Branson, spent a lot of money. Has anybody ever been to Branson? That place is a money pit, praise God. Spent some money there, had a great time. But then we went to the beach. And on the second leg of our vacation, man, I had the worst cough that I can remember having. Maybe one other time when I had a worse one than that. And I hacked, and I coughed, and I coughed over and over and over and over and over again. Now, some of y'all have heard me talk about my wife, Kelly. Like, there are several things that really gets on her nerves. One thing, one thing in particular is, well, whenever I eat a bowl of cereal right before bed, come on, how many of y'all love a good bowl of cereal? How many good godly people like a big bowl of cereal right before bed? Let me see your hands. I need to, come on, Andrew, I'm not not alone. And the rest of y'all are like, y'all are all weird. Okay, okay. I don't do this like I used to, but man, some of y'all have heard this, so I'm sorry. But let me tell you one more time. I got in bed one night, and I poured a big old bowl. I think it was like, I think it was like Wheat Chex or something. Not my favorite, but it's all we had. And I get into bed, Kelly's there beside me, and she's working on her computer. And I start eating that cereal, and I'm just minding my own business. I mean, come on, I'm the man of God. (laughs) I'm eating my bowl of cereal, and she looks over at me and said, and I'm like, what? And she looked at me and she said, that sound, that noise. And I'm like, I'm eating cereal. She said, it sounds like you're running a wood chipper in bed. Get out. I said, woman, you get, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say, <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't say that. But like, she's super sensitive to sound. But when she eats a bowl of cereal, you can hear it down the street, praise God. Notice she's not here. I can say that. (laughs) Come on, uh, ladies. Raise your hand if you're sensitive to your husband's sounds. To the sounds he makes. Reverse it. Let me see. So, men. Okay. Drives you nuts. Okay. Kelly did amazing on this trip. I was expecting her to tell me to rent another vehicle. For me to ride alone and they would follow me. But... On the second leg of our vacation, I coughed, and I coughed, and I coughed, and I coughed. The kids had their headphones on, and she did amazing. I can't believe that she got through without complaining about my cough. But listen, all joking aside, looking back, I coughed over and over and over and over through the day. At night, finally I'd go to sleep and then I would wake up coughing. They're all out at the beach, like this incredible scene of them playing, my little girls playing, you know, ball. I'm up in the hotel room or in the little condo area. I, I mean I'm just hacking my lungs out. But but here's the way you would you would look at it. If you're one of my kids and you were to look back and say, what did daddy do the entire time? Well, on at least the second leg of the vacation, what did daddy do? They would say, Oh, that's easy. He coughed continually. That doesn't mean that I coughed every second, every minute of of our time there. It just meant that coughing characterized the bulk of my time on vacation. Paul is using this term with respect to the way we should be in our prayer lives. It's not that we pray every second of every minute of every hour of every day. It's that when people look at our lives, we should have a hacking prayer life where we are praying to God consistently where that marks our lives. It doesn't dominate every second, but it marks who we are. And, and let me get down to the essence of this. A man or a woman of prayer is a man or a woman dependent on God to meet their every need. And that's not a sign of ultimate weakness. It's acknowledging ours, but the strength is I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him to meet my every And your prayers don't have to be long to be strong. Let me me encourage you. You can pray for a few seconds, for a few minutes. How many of y'all are thankful? Short prayers can go a long way. Short, faith-filled prayers through the day can go a long way. How many of y'all are thankful that silent prayers are heard by your God? I want to encourage you, slip away. If if you're at the desk, you can't slip away. It's a posture of being continually dependent on God for your needs through the day. And the way I like to say it is like as follows. If we pray without ceasing, then we will experience less stressing. Oftentimes, we're overloaded, we're emotionally spent, we're tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually because we're carrying things that God has not called us to carry. The Bible says, cast your burdens on the Lord, like a fisherman casting nets. Some of y'all today, you're carrying things that you shouldn't be carrying. The Bible says, cast those things on the Lord. How many of y'all know He's strong enough to carry it all? Nobody knows that. How many of y'all know He's strong enough to carry it all? He's got big shoulders. He spoke the world into existence. He can carry your load. He wants your load. He wants your worries. He wants your troubles. Give them. Give them to him, and he'll carry them for you. And he will sustain you. Boy, that's a great promise. The Lord will sustain us. So Paul says, rejoice always. Always, no matter where you are. No matter what set of circumstances you're in, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Remember the hacking cough. Pray, pray continually. And finally, Paul says, and I love this one, this is my favorite give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances? Well, literally, give thanks in all, in all. I mean, I know that's challenging. That can be really challenging. You say, is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it's in the heart of God. If it's in the heart of God, it should be a reality in our lives. Give thanks. Not just seasonally, not just occasionally, but continually. Everywhere you go. Whatever circumstances you're standing in or around, you got a reason to praise. You got a reason to give thanks. Some of you perhaps have heard the story of a young lady named Corey Timboom. Let me see your hands. Anybody? Corey Boom. I encourage you get the book, The Hiding Place. Read her story. It's it's amazing. But Corey recalls as a young as a young girl. Corey, her sister Betsy, and, and her family, they they hid runaway Jews in the Second World War. Jews running from the Nazis, running literally for their lives. Well, Corey and her family hid Jews in, in her home and literally saved many people's lives. It's an incredible story. Well, eventually Corey and her family were arrested and hauled off to a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, as you can imagine, the family experienced some of the worst conditions on the planet, just horrible, horrible, terrible things, some of which she describes in her book, in her account. But Corey talks about how bad the place smelled, the stench, she said, was so awful. It was a terrible smell, and she recalls about how, how small her living quarters were. The place where she slept. She couldn't even raise up fully in bed without hitting the slat above her. And here's a picture of those barracks. Now, I don't know where you live, and I don't know what your living conditions are, but I would guess that they're not like that. How many are thankful for your bed? How many of y'all are thankful for the place, whether it's an apartment, a home, or whatever you have, how many of y'all are thankful for the home or the apartment, the bed that you rest in at night? Women stacked upon women. Horrible stench, terribly small size. And to add to all of that, Corey recalls that Well, the place was infected, infested even, with fleas. Fleas. The whole place. Fleas everywhere. I don't know if you've ever had a pet with bad fleas. I remember we had a dog years and years ago, and this dog, Muffy, had fleas, and we tried our best, and we finally got rid of them, but you could pull back the fur, and you could see them crawling on the skin. I mean, they're nasty, 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 irritating little creatures. Well, the place was filled Crawling covered with fleas. And Corey said to her sister, Betsy, how can we live in this kind of place? How are we going to get along? Show me, show me how. (laughs) Betsy responded, said, Corey, don't worry. God's given us the answer. I know how we're going to be able to survive here. I know I've got the answer. She said, this morning, remember what we read? I'm paraphrasing here. Remember what we read? And she directed Corey's attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. Well, she read it aloud. She read it aloud, and and Betsy said, that's it. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. She said, that's what we can do right now and so they began to thank god for being together they thank god for the bible they thank god for the opportunity to minister to women in this place they went on and just gave thanks on and on and then then betsy said thank you thank you for the fleas <laughs> for the fleas Corey said this was too much for the fleas Betsy, there's no way she wrote, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Are y'all with her? (laughs) There's no way. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. The Bible says in every circumstance, give thanks. And so... Corey said, There we stood between piers of bunks and we gave thanks for fleas. One gladly, one reluctantly, but they gave thanks. But Corey said, But this time, I was sure that Betsy was wrong. In other words, this can't be the will of God that we give thanks for these sorts of nuisances in our lives. Well, fast forwarding later one evening, Betsy approached Corey and said, you know, we've never understood why we have so much freedom in this big room. And she was referring to a big room that they did Bible studies in, a big room where they could basically do whatever they wanted. The guards never came in. The soldiers never came in. It was a really incredible freedom. They they didn't know why they had those freedoms. But uh, Betsy discovered, she heard a conversation and discovered that the reason why they had those freedoms She said, the supervisor and the guards wouldn't dare step foot in that room because of the fleas. She said with excitement, it's the fleas. It's because of the fleas that we have this freedom in this room. It's the fleas. In other words, the fleas, those little nuisances, kept the soldiers, the guards out because of the fleas. They had freedoms. Because of the fleas, they had fellowship. Because of the fleas, other women could come and hear the Word of God. The Word of God through them spread through the barracks because of the fleas. How many of y'all know as believers, we should thank God for all of the good things in our lives, the obvious good things. But as believers who obey the Word of God, we are called and commanded to even give thanks for the fleas in our lives. I'm talking about the things that bug you. I'm talking about the people who bug you. I'm talking about the things that don't appear to be God, the situations that don't appear to be God. Listen, as believers, we should give thanks in every circumstance because we know that God has a purpose for every circumstance. Whatever you're going through right now, God's got a purpose for it. If there's no God, there's no purpose, but because there's a God, there is a purpose. In every detail of your life, God's at work. He's at work right now. As you sit, as you contemplate what I'm saying, he is at work right now in your life. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, Piper says, and you're aware about maybe a handful. How many of y'all know some things aren't that evident until retrospectively we look back and we are like, oh, thank you God. If it hadn't been for the fleas, if it hadn't been ultimately for you, God, you are the God of the fleas. You're at work in the smallest detail of my life. Do y'all believe that? If you don't believe that, you're not gonna have much joy. If you don't believe that, you're gonna find it difficult to pray. But those of us who do believe it, that's the motivation for our joy. That's the motivation for our our prayer because we know that God loves us, has a purpose for us. This isn't on accident, all of this is on purpose and he is at work in the fine details of your life and he's constantly working for your everlasting good and joy. And you can bet on, count on, trust in every word in the Bible. It's all true, and it's all for you, no matter where you find yourself today. I love this promise. Paul says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People say, Pastor Scott, I wanna know the will of God. I wanna know this, I wanna know that. Should I marry this person? Should I, should I get this job, should I, and I'll and I, and I walk people through, and I'll help people the best I can with a renewed mind, make renewed decisions. But a lot of times I'm like, I don't, I don't know. We don't know, but I do know this. It is the will of God for you to rejoice always. It is the will of God for you to pray continually. It is the will of God for you to give thanks in all circumstances because we have so many blessings given to us through Christ no matter where we go no matter what we face how many of y'all know the forecast for us is so bright in Jesus if we could just see by faith for what's ahead beyond our circumstances beyond the pain beyond the sorrow beyond where we are now to what lies ahead let me say it again y'all the best for believers is yet to come the best is yet to come. Our hope is built on nothing but than in Jesus' blood and righteousness. His words are true. He proved it in his life. He proved it in his death. He proved it by his mighty resu- res- his resurrection from the dead. How many y'all are thankful today for every blessing that you have in him? Thank God for the fleas. Thank you, God, for the things that bug me because you're at work to use the things that bug me that calls them to bless me. And only a really big, awesome, sovereign God can do that. And so we give thanks, not seasonally, definitely not occasionally, but we're to do so continually. Let's lift our hands, let's give thanks. Father, we thank you, thank you. We give thanks to you, we give thanks. Right now, before we leave, I want you just to recount, recall, all the many blessings in your life. You can thank God for where you are right now, for what you're going through. You're not going to be there forever. You wonder, is this burden going to be on me forever? Is the situation, is it, is it, is it going to be this way forever? The answer is no, it's going to change. God, God is the God of change. He, he sets up kings and he deposes of them. He changes times and seasons. But Lord, we thank you right now. We can give thanks to you right where we are. Right where we are. Because you live You live in us, Lord. And we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, say it with me. Thank you. Come on, say it loud. Thank you. Thank you, God. We're grateful for you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us. We give you honor. We give you our worship. We give you our praise. Jesus, it's in your name we pray and everyone said. Amen, amen. Amen. Would you stand at your feet today? Pastor Scott, thank you for that incredible reminder. Incredible, incredible reminder. Hey, we've got a couple of things for you before we go. Hey, if you participated in the Christmas gift project for little lambs and uh, and kids from DCFS, we're asking you please get those gifts in by tomorrow so we can distribute those. Hey, also, uh, it is Louisiana passed a law that every school classroom would have to have the a poster with our uh, country's motto, uh, In God We Trust, on it. And so, Love Acadiana is taking on that effort. The governor's office has asked churches to help distribute those posters. And so, if you would like to be a part of that distribution, just go to loveacadiana.org and you'll have all the information there and you can sign up. And then, lastly, I know that many of you came today.